Hey, this is Greg Sanders. Thanks for listening today. It's our hope that this message will help you connect to God, grow in His Word, and serve the kingdom in a greater capacity. Thanks for listening and enjoy today's message. Well, hey, you chose a great Sunday to come to church. Not that I think there's ever a bad Sunday to come to church, but you chose a great one. Uh, We are so honored today to have a special guest with us. Pastor Choco is with us. He spoke to our leaders last night. Pastor Choco uh, pastored a church in the Chicago area for about 19 years And uh, through his ministry, the Lord took that church, I think you said last night, of 68 people to over 17,000 people, multiple campuses. God used them mightily, and he now serves in our national office as one of the leaders of our fellowship nationwide. And I was speaking to him last night. We were going through the normal questions of, well, you know, where are you from, how many kids you have, and uh, you ever hit a nerve with somebody, and all of a sudden you you, you hit a nerve and you discover their heart? I asked him this question. I said, so what's it like not being part of a local church, right? Because he's part of the big church. He's leading our fellowship, the big church. But there's something special, and I just have a big appreciation for men and women of God who have a heart for the local church. And when I asked him that question, uh, the the tone of his voice kind of changed, and I discovered What I knew had to be true. He has a great heart for God, a great heart for ministry, and a great heart for the local church. And I'm so thankful for what God is doing through his ministry. And Pastor Choco, we are so honored that you came to minister to us this morning. Would you please give him a great assembly welcome this morning as he comes to share the word of God with us? Thank you. Bless you. you. Well, good morning. Good Good morning. So glad you're in church today. So glad that someone forced you to come to church today. And whoever forced you to come to church, you should thank them. Because they didn't bring you to a funeral place. They brought you to a place where you can experience the presence of God. I appreciate the worship team and leading us in worship. And, And if this is your first time visiting us here at the church, welcome. Welcome. And if you're looking for a place to root yourself, stop looking. Root yourself. This is a good church. I wouldn't drive five hours to get over here from Oklahoma to be over here with you guys this morning. These are great people. They love the Lord. A great leadership last night. And so I'm really excited about this community because it has a thriving church. People who believe in the Lord. Amen? Amen. And so welcome if this is your first time. I want to just introduce my family to you all really quickly. I didn't do that last night, but let me show you a picture of my wife, Elizabeth. Let's see if we have that. This is my lovely wife. Been married for 34 years. And when she was 12 years old, I was 14, I asked her to be my girlfriend. True story. We didn't date until she was 17 and I was 19. I did not know she was the pastor's daughter. I'm like, ooh, I didn't know this. But nevertheless, Elizabeth, my wife, is the, she was for over 30 years a worship leader in our church, women's director, loves the word of God, loves to pray. She's praying for me right now as I'm here with you all. And uh, we served, and I served in the Royal Ranger ministry. She, she served in the missionettes back in the day. It was called the Missionette Girls Ministry. And uh, we just love the local church, love the local church. This, uh, Elizabeth and I have three beautiful children. Let's, let me show you my tribe. 
These are my, this is my family. And uh, these, this is my oldest daughter, Alex, and her husband. They're the worship directors there of the, of the eight campuses in Chicago. My youngest daughter, Yesenia, and her husband, Anders, live in Colorado. And uh, he's a uh, young adults pastor. And then my son, Pito, and his wife, Eden, part of the worship team in Chicago. And so all my three kids are married, and they're out of the house. <laughs> Glory to God. Come on. Is there any empty nesters here today? Any empty nesters? It's beautiful. I love my kids, but they got to go. They got to go. I want my girlfriend back. Amen. Let me show you my grandchildren. These are my grandchildren. How many grandparents we have in the house? Yes. I'm telling you. God should have given us the grandchildren first. And kept the kids or something, but give us the grandchildren. This is Charlie Grace. Charlie Grace, don't no, go back to the other one, I'm sorry. Charlie Grace, um, she's, she's the oldest. And so around six months ago, she called Elizabeth and I, FaceTimed us, and she said, Papa, I have a, have a question for you. I said, what is it, Charlie? She said, Papa, do you have the mostest money out of everybody? I said, Charlie, I don't have the most as money of, out of everybody, but if you're asking I have more money than your mother and father, then yes, I do. <laughs> and then she says, she says, good, I need some things, Papa. <laughs> and $300 later, we order from Amazon. My oldest daughter, Alex, says, Papi, you can't be doing things like this. I said, Alex, I can do whatever I want to do. It's my money. And so Charlie, Charlie Grace, during the riots in Chicago in 2020, during the riots in Chicago, she was feeding police officers. She was in the streets of Chicago as a four-year-old feeding police officers. Because I've always taught my children that we must engage culture. We cannot be afraid of culture. That's what I taught my daughter, and my daughter is teaching my granddaughter. This is Reagan. Second one is Reagan. Reagan live. Uh, pray for me. Because Reagan is white with blue eyes. I'm brown with brown eyes. So I tell my daughter, if I ever take her to Target or Walmart, I need her birth certificate. <laughs> I want nobody to think I just stole this girl. <laughs> well, probably there, I have number seven. I have number seven. I think he stole her. But Reagan live, believes in the power of prayer. She'll call us around 8.30 in the night. And uh, say, Papa, Mama, would you pray for me? And she believes in the power of prayer. And then she'll pray for us. Train them. Train them while they're young. And when they grow up, they'll never depart from it. They may be knuckleheads, but they will never depart from what you teach them. Kids do not remember time. They remember moments. You've got to teach them moments. So that's Reagan Lift. This is James Anthony. He's going to be a piano player and a golfer like his daddy. Uh, he is just like the joy of the family. This is Donnie. This is Reagan's little brother. He's going to be a mountain climber because he's everywhere. <laughs> and this is Alea Skye. And she is the smiling one of all of them and loves the Lord, loves to worship like her, her mama. And let me show you the latest one that was just born in December. He is our sixth one. 
And so we have six grandchildren. We Hispanics, we grow big, man. <laughs> Don't play. Is it possible, I tell people, is it possible that God himself is migrating this nation with people who believe in him and believe in the sanctity of marriage? Is it possible? With 68 million Hispanics in the United States, out of the 50 states, 20 states in our union where Hispanics are the largest of the minority groups, and two states in our union, New Mexico and California, where Hispanics are the largest of any ethnicity. I'm just trying to tell you that we're not going anywhere. Amen. <laughs> we're going to, you know what Hispanic means, right? It means we are his, and we're going to bring panic to this nation. Amen. <laughs> That's what Hispanic stands for. But I praise the Lord that we're part of a movement called the Assemblies of God. The Assemblies of God has 70 million adherents around the world. Out of the 70 million, 44 million are Hispanic around the world. Did you know that every 62 seconds, every 62 seconds on planet Earth, someone's getting saved in an AG church somewhere on planet Earth? Praise the Lord. I'm going to do the 62 seconds, and when we get to 62, let's get excited about someone coming to Jesus. This is exciting because the Bible says the angels rejoice, and we're going to rejoice here on earth when someone just accepted Jesus Christ. 52 seconds to go. It's exciting when people who are lost find a way. That's why we exist. That's why we exist. 42 seconds to go. This is exciting. I want you to get ready. I don't know who that is. It could be someone in Africa, someone in Australia, someone in China accepting Jesus Christ as their person. 32 seconds to go. This is going to be exciting. And when we, get to, when we get to one, I want you just to stand up and give God a praise offering like you've never done before in Arkansas, just thanking the Lord. You don't know who that is, but someone came to Jesus. 22 seconds. Come on, I feel like this is New Year's Eve. I'm telling you, this is exciting. This is exciting. Ten seconds. Nine, eight, seven, six, five, four, three, two, one. Come on, praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Bless the Lord. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Hallelujah. Glory to God. Praise the living God. We magnify you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining in on that. It's exciting. Did you know that every 80 minutes, a new church is open on planet Earth? Now, we're not going to wait 80 minutes. I just want you to know. Did you know that there are 10 times more AG churches on planet Earth than there is McDonald's? I'm just telling you. That in 2033, 2033, the goal of the Assemblies of God is to have one million churches on planet Earth, which will be the anniversary of our resurrection Savior, Jesus Christ, 2033. So you're part of a great family. I'm excited that you're here this morning. I'm excited that you came to church. 
Let me give you a word before you leave here today. Now, would you stand with me for the reading of God's word? I'm old-fashioned like that. If you're physically able, if you're physically able to stand, would you stand? It's an old couple, you know, maybe in their 80s. They were at a carnival, and his name was George. Her name was Martha. And uh, they saw an airplane that you could take a ride on an airplane for $10. So George went to Martha and said, Martha, I'd love to go down that airplane ride. Martha said to George, George, that airplane ride is $10, and $10 is $10. George says, I know, Martha, but I've never been on an airplane ride. I sure like to get on an airplane ride before I die. I already told you, George, that airplane ride is $10, and $10 is yeah, so that was going on for a few minutes. Finally, the pilot who was watching this and listening to the conversation said, Folks, I'll give you a free airplane ride if you just shut up. <laughs> George looked at Martha. Martha looked at George. Boom. They get in the plane. Pilot took off. Uh, he started diving. Uh, turning the plane. Not one word from George and Martha. The pilot was perplexed. He's like, I can't believe this. Let me go back up. Started diving again, turning the plane. Yung, yung. Not one word from George and Martha. Boy, he landed the plane. He said, folks, you guys are amazing. Usually when I turn the plane like this, people are screaming, oh, Lord Jesus, please stop, please stop. But you didn't say a word. George said, well, I was going to say a word when Martha fell off the airplane, but $10 is $10. <laughs> she gone. Ezekiel chapter 22 has nothing to do with my sermon this morning. Ezekiel chapter 22, verse 30. I want to tell you that America has drifted. Now, there's a tsunami of immorality hitting the shores of America. And the answer to that tsunami is the church. Oh, boy, that's a good place to say amen. The church is the greatest institution on planet Earth. I said that last night to you all. Ezekiel 22, 30 tells you, this, the NIV says, I look for a man, an ish, if you're taking notes. I look for an ish among them who will build up the wall and stand before me in the what? That's right, gap. The word gap in Hebrew here means ibanayim, which means between two places. So let's back up. I look for an ish among them who will build up the wall, standards, who will build up the standards and stand before me in the Ibanayim on behalf of the land so I would not have to destroy it. And here's what the Lord said. But I found none. I didn't find, I didn't find a man. I didn't find a woman who would stand in the gap who had the audacity in Arkansas to stand for what they believe. The Lord said, I didn't find none. Father, in the name of Jesus, we come before you this morning. Thank you for waking us up. Thank you for allowing our cars to turn on. Thank you, dear Lord, for worship today. And we know that when we open up our Bibles, you speak to us. When we pray, we speak to you. But we ask that you would speak to us. Mess us up. We do not want to leave here the same. Teach us to be a gap man, a gap woman. Get the glory out of our lives. In Jesus' name, 
Can everybody say amen? amen? You may be seated. In the 1950s, Eisenhower, at that time, a president of our nation, who was not a particularly religious person, prior going to the Geneva Peace Conference with the Soviets, he went on national TV and he urged everyone, watch this, he urged everyone to go to church. In the 1950s, the president of the United States urged all Americans to go to church and to pray for peace. That type of gesture, that type of gesture was routine back then. But it's unimaginable today. I'm just telling you, we've drifted. As a nation, we've drifted. And there are gaps everywhere. In a short time, church, in a short time, we've gone from defining culture, being the culture, to being out of step, uncool, frequently mocked, ignore counterculture. When people look at you and I as Christians, they say to you and I, we're not cool. We're out of step. We're in the minorities. In the 1950s, Christianity was not in the minorities. But today in 2023, you and I, my friends, we're in the minorities. And I love it. Because one man or one woman with God is in the majority. So how do we adjust? How do we adjust from being the culture to be a counterculture minority group? Here it is, here it is. We need to stop caring what people think about us and start caring about what God thinks of us. Come on, somebody. We cannot allow Hollywood to define who we are. We know who we are. We're people of God. And the God that you and I serve, he's not dead. He's no punk. So we need to start showing this country, this nation, that we are a community of love, a community of forgiveness, a community that offers transformation to the brokenhearted. Are you with me this morning? I'm trying to tell you this morning that America has drifted and that as a church, we must stand in the gap. We must fill the gap. Did you know that there's a gap problem in homelessness and that the average person in America who's homeless, he's not 35, he's nine years old. That's the average person in our nation that's homeless. That's a gap problem. Did you know that the girl that's being trafficked, she's not 21, she's five. There is no girl that's born in the United States that's born and wants to be a prostitute. Something must have happened to that girl. I'm just telling you that we have a gap problem. Our educational system is in decline. Don't be deceived. The decay is not only education. It's also economic, moral, marriages, one and two marriages and in divorce, in the church. So the culture has creeped into the church. 10 years ago or 20 years ago, rates of domestic violence and pornography didn't move us to act. Now maybe thousands of young girls who are victims of human trafficking will. Next week during the Super Bowl, 
next week during the Super Bowl, and an average of 80 to 100,000 young girls or boys will be trafficked. How do I know that? We work with the FBI. In Chicago, when I passed to the church, I would send a team of missionaries to wherever the Super Bowl was at, and we would rescue young girls from the human trafficking. I'm just telling you that America has drifted, and we have gaps everywhere. Every time, look at me, every time there was trouble on planet Earth, every time there was a, a circumstances and chaos, every time those things occurred, God will raise up a woman, God will raise up a man to stand in the gap and speak towards that. Did you hear me this morning? Every time Martin Luther King Jr. stood up against the giant of Jim Crow, Corey Tim Boom stood in the gap against fascism and Nazi Germany. In the era of the revitalists, there was John Wesley and the Great Awakening. In the Roman era, there was Polycarp and the martyrs. And these were in the lineage of John the Baptist, the prophetic voice in the wilderness, and the echo of Ezekiel, the biblical prophet. Every time there was a problem, someone would stand up and say, this is wrong, you can't do that. Notice that all these people that I mentioned here, and Jesus, who's the ultimate gap person, he's the ultimate, he stood in the gap, even with the other two crosses, he's in the center. And he stood in the gap of humanity. All these people that I mentioned were killed. Anytime you take a stand for something in Arkansas, get ready not to be invited to a Christmas party. Get ready not to receive some birthday gifts because of your beliefs. I remember when I got saved, my, my godmother, my godmother who dedicated me in the Catholic Church, I was 14 years old when I got saved, but I was a young boy when I was presented in the Catholic Church. And I remember when I got saved and I was going to the church as a young boy, as a teenager, my godmother heard that I became a Christian. And so she met me one day and she says, I'm going to give you an ultimatum. You either stop going to that church or I would disown you as your godmother. I said, give me a minute. I said, you never gave me anything for Christmas and Jesus gives me eternal life. I'll stay with Jesus. Truth be told, 20 years later, my godmother finds out where I'm at and what God is doing in my life and she repented. But you must take a stand and stand against those. Think about it for a moment. That God was looking for an Ish or an Isha. We are living in a time that we can sing all we want, but sooner or later you're going to have to stand for what you sing. Come on, somebody. I mean, think about it. That the mayor of the city of Chicago would tell Chick-fil-A that they're not welcome to our city. Because apparently Chick-fil-A does not have Chicagoans' value system. That happened a few years ago. And I was in Washington, D.C. when I got wind of it of CNN that the mayor, my mayor of our city, said he, that Chick-fil-A was not welcome to the city of Chicago. I picked up the phone. I did what any man would do. And I called the mayor's office. And I spoke to his administration. I said, tell the mayor that I said that Chick-fil-A is welcome 
to our city. And if he wants to fight, he's got to fight. Hang up the phone, picked up the phone again, called Dan Cathy, who is the founder, the chairman of Chick-fil-A. I said, Dan, this is Pastor Choco. Hey, Pastor Choco. Hey, Dan, I want you to know you're welcome to Chicago, and we're going we're gonna to fight for you. This is wrong. I remember coming from Washington, D.C., back to Chicago, and I called the city councilman who presented the ordinance, who's my friend, for over eight years, and I remember calling his office and I said, hey, Alderman, this is uh, Pastor Choco. I want to meet you. And meet me in the park. This is how we do things in Chicago. We meet people in the park. And I drove to the park with my wife, Elizabeth. I drove to the park with my wife, Elizabeth. I turned off the car and I looked to my wife and I said, babe, stay in the car. This is going to get ugly. I got off the car, started walking towards the city councilman. I said, Alderman, we have been friends for eight years. He said, yep. I said, you and the mayor are wrong. You need to pull back from this ordinance. If you want to fight, I'm prepared to fight. He said, Reverend, relax. These people don't re represent. I said, Alden, let's just be clear. You don't represent all Chicagoans. And my value systems are not like your value systems. But today, Chick-fil-A has three stores in Chicago to the glory of God. But where is that man? Where is that woman that God is looking for who will stand for what they believe, even if it's not politically correct, even if it's not popular? Are you with me? The Bible says in 1 Samuel 17, 10, it's a story between David and Goliath. Let me take you there this morning. So if anybody ever asks you today, what did you learn? Tell them about gap. I learned that I must stand in the gap. Praying to God. It's the story of David and Goliath. 1 Samuel 17. If you're taking notes, verse 10. And here's what the Bible says. Then the Philistines said, watch this. This day I defy the armies of Israel. Watch this. Give me a what? Give me a what? OMG. Not only is God looking for a man in Ezekiel, but in Samuel, the devil's champion, who's Goliath, the devil's champion is saying, send me your guy. You got this whole army. Send me one of your guys and I'll fight him. So not only is God looking for a man, but so is the devil's champion. Send me, give me a man and let us fight each other. Ooh, child. Uh, so let me set this up for you. Let me come down. Back in Chicago, I would come down and preach from the floor so I can slap people sometimes. <laughs> I'm not going to slap anybody today because you may be a visitor and I don't want it to be the last time you come to church. So Samuel, you need to know the story, at least the backdrop, that in this story, David... He is now being anointed as king. He's the youngest of Jesse's sons. The prophet Samuel goes to Jesse's house because the Lord told him, go anoint the next king of Israel. So he comes, the prophet Samuel, he comes to the house of Jesse and he looks and he looks at all the boys. And the Lord said, nope, 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 nope. And then this prophet looked at Jesse, said, hey, do you got another boy? 
He says, yeah, I got a guy. I got another son. He's out there with the sheep. You want him? And Samuel's like, yeah, bring him in. He opened the back door. He said, David, come in here, boy. David comes, cleans himself. What's up, Dad? The prophet's in the living room. Wants to talk to you. And David walks in, and the Lord said, he's the guy. Anoint him. And there in that living room, I'm paraphrasing, in that living room, the Samuel, the prophet, anoints the next king, King David. He anoints him, and watch this, once he anoints him, look what happened, look what happens. David goes back to the yard and takes care of the sheep, even though he was anointed king. So from the time he was anointed to the time that he becomes legit king, is like 20 years. But during that season, he's fighting the bear and the lion. If you read the story, David was fighting the bear and the lion when there is no audience of people, just the audience of one, which is God. Are you following me? There's going to be things you're going to do here in Arkansas that pastor would not see and that nobody would see that you're doing, but God sees. And that's the most important audience. Are you with me? I remember Chicago. Chicago was going to have the first gay high school. $42 million was going to be built for a high school for 600 students in Chicago. I was in New Mexico preaching when I saw it on Fox News that Chicago will have the first gay high school. And so I called the CEO of Chicago Public Schools, who was Arnie Duncan. Arnie Duncan was the Secretary of Education for Barack Obama when in his presidency. Arnie Duncan is a friend of mine. We, we worked together to help better the school system in Chicago. So I remember calling Arnie Duncan from New Mexico. I said, Arnie, this is Choco. I'm coming to Chicago, I want to talk to you. So the next day I got to Chicago, I meet Arnie Duncan in downtown Chicago with around seven pastors from the city. And Arnie is there with his chief of staff and, and his whole team there, regional directors, boom, boom, boom. He's sitting over there, I'm sitting over here. I said, Arnie, I heard you wanted to open a gay high school. I said, you can't do that. Then he proceeded to give me a laundry list. He proceeded to tell me, Reverend DeJesus, you have no idea what these people have been going through. They've been bullied. They've been abused. They've been hurt. They've been left out. He began to go down this list. And I remember, church, I remember that I pulled back the chair of, my, of the conference room and I stood up and I said, Arnie, are you kidding me? You're talking about bullying and harassment? Arnie, for thousands of years, my people, our Christians have been killed for what they believe. Here in the United States, we can't have young people who wear shirts that said, I love Jesus, without the principal or an educator telling them to take it off. Don't tell me about harassment. Don't tell me about being bullied. I got girls in my church that are virgins who are being harassed by girls and guys. And he's like, Reverend, calm down. Sit down. I said, no. Arnie, I'm prepared to go to prison. What are you prepared to do? I will bring 1,000 men from my church and we will shut down your city council. But you will have to take me to prison. Reverend, sit down. He said, why don't we just think about it for two weeks and come back? I said, let's do that. 
Give me time to pray and seek from the Lord. So we leave. Two weeks later, I come back to the conference room. They're waiting for me. I walked into the conference room, said, Arnie, thus saith the Lord, build your gay high school. Build it. And when you're done building that, I need five schools for my Christian kids in the city of Chicago. And then when you're finished with that, I need another school for kids who suffer from obesity. And when you're done with that, I need another school for kids who are Muslim. And when you're done with that, and I went down the list and I gave him a laundry list. And he said, forget about it. We're not building anything. But where is the man who flips tables? Where is the father? Where is the mother? Where is the woman that says, not on my watch? Are you with me this morning? David was anointed king. And one day his father came to him and said, David, I need you to go take uh, some, uh, I want you to take uh, a piece of bread and some cheese to your brother. We Americans, we know that as cheese sandwich. The Bible says bread and cheese. I would have been like, put them together. It's like a cheese sandwich. I want you to go take a piece of bread and some cheese to your brothers and see how they're doing in the battle. So David goes and, and he takes the bread and the cheese and, and his slingshot and some rocks and he goes to the battle and King Saul, he's the king at this moment and he's there with his army. And this army of King Saul would line up 40 days, y'all. They would put on their armor. Nothing would happen. They go back to their tent. Next day, they were all lined up like an army. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was part of that army, I'd be raising my hand. I'd be like, hey, commander, this is day 15, and we haven't fought. If we're not going to fight, tell me now so I can come out here in my shorts. Because that 75-pound armor is heavy. And if we're just going to fake it, I don't need to do that. 40 days. The army of Saul lined up every day and they faced their enemies for 40 days. And there was not one man. You saw it. Samuel said, send me your guy. And if this guy beats me, if he beats me, then we serve you. But nobody. For 40 years in America... Churches have been lining up, going to churches with their Bibles. Meanwhile, there's a giant. And here, listen, hear me out this morning. Giants are not born giants. They're born babies. And we allow them to grow. Are you with me? So there comes David. We got to hurry up. There comes David with the, uh, the slice of bread and cheese. And his brothers all lined up. And David's like, hey, what's up, Bessie? What's going on? Shaking the hand, what's going on? And the brothers, you know, the big brother's like, bro, get out of here. This is for the men. You don't belong in the field. Hey, I'm just here to tell you that Poppy, Poppy wants to know how you guys are doing. Here's a cheese sandwich, cheese sandwich. Boom, boom, boom. And then all of a sudden, Goliath comes out, taunting, send me your man. And Goliath did not know that on this day, God's champion will be at the scene. For the last 40 years, for the last 40 days, nobody broke rank. But here's David for the first time. David, boom, boom, boom. And he hears Goliath. And his ears are already discerning. His ears have been in tune to discern the bear and the lion. 
And he looked around, and he looked back at this giant. You know, I'm paraphrasing. He says, who do you think he is? Who do you think you are? Here's what he said. Who do you think you are? Define the armies of God. He doesn't even say the army of Saul. He says the armies of God. Who do you think you are? And there's David with his slingshot, because that's how he killed the bear and the lion, with the slingshot. And he take that rock, and there's David talking, and the Lord probably is in heaven like, David, just throw the rock. If you throw it, I'll catch it. And then I'll hit the, the giant. And there's David's going, you know, just kind of spotty. And the, I'm sure when we get to heaven, we can ask, you know, David. The Lord's like, for the love of God, just throw the rock. <laughs> You're coming down right now. Boom. He falls, knocks him down. He's not dead. David proceeded to go to the giant, takes the giant's sword, takes his head off, and he turns around, and he looks at the people of Israel. The next verse is awesome. The next, the next verse says, and the people of Israel surged. They surged. They were just waiting for a leader. They're waiting for a father and mother to take a stand for what they believe. And the people of Israel went after the Philistines, and they killed them. There are gaps everywhere in our culture. There are gaps everywhere in our culture. I want you to stand with me for a moment. Let me finish here. Watch this. In 2002, in 2002, the police commander of the 14th district of our city came to me and said, Reverend, we have a problem. I said, what's the problem? He said, we arrested 600 women for prostitution in nine months, unduplicated. He says, is there anything your church can do? I said, Commander, we'll pray for you. But hear me out, church. Assembly, hear me out. There comes a time that with revelation comes responsibility. When God reveals to you all the condition of this community, yes, we should pray, but we should act. We should pray, but we should do something. Are you with me? I remember getting one of our female pastors in my office, and I called her, and I said, um, I want you to go out and find me. The Lord placed something in my heart to do, and I want you to go out and find me five prostitutes and ask them how much they would charge me for one hour of service. She looked at me, she said, come again? You want me to do what? Go get me five women and ask them how much they would charge me for one hour of service. Pastor Joko. Two and a half hours later, she comes back with five women in her car, black, Hispanic, mini skirts. They're drugged up. They're messed. They get out of her car. The female pastor walks towards me, and she says, Pastor Choco, the tall one is going to charge you $50 an hour. The one next to her is $35. The other one's $40. $225 for all five women. I said, no problem. So I took out some cash. I went to the women. Here's your 50, here's your 35, here's your 40. And then one of the ladies looked at me and said, what do you want us to do? I said, please, follow me. And I took him inside the church. And inside the church, y'all, I prepared a banquet with roses and candles. My wife led worship. 
For one hour, we ministered to these five women. The young people of our church did drama, and I preached about the love of Jesus. After the one hour was done, I said, ladies, my time is up because I only bought your time for one hour. They stood up crying profusely. They said, preacher, we don't want your money. No man has ever treated us this way. Today, some of those ladies are deacons in our church. I like what Dr. King said. Courage is an inner resolution to go forward despite obstacles. Cowardness is submissive surrender to circumstances. Courage breeds creativity. Cowardness represses fear and is mastered by it. Watch this. Cowardness asks the question, is it safe? Expediency asks the question, is it political? Vanity asks the question, is it popular? But conscience asks the question, is it right? Hear me out, assembly. There comes a time when we must take a position that's neither safe, nor political, nor popular. But one must take it because it's right. And I look among them for a man or a woman, an Isha, who would stand in the Ibanayim. May he look down in Arkansas, may he look down in your church and say, I have found women and men who want to stand in the gap. Two billion children on planet Earth cannot read or write. You got gaps here in Arkansas. Let's fill them. Let's stand in them. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes for a moment? Let me pray this morning before I turn it over to Pastor. If you're here this morning, you say, Pastor Choco, I need to be a gap man. I need to be a gap woman. I could do more. I must, I must stay the course in my life and be that man and that woman that you called me to be and pray for me that here in Arkansas that I would be that person. If that's you here this morning, I want you to lift your hands quickly. I want to pray with you. Hands are going up. Hands are going up. And here's what I'm going to do in just a few moments. If you raise your hand, I'm going to say a prayer. I want you to get out of your seat and meet me up here at this altar quickly. Do that right now. I'll give you 20 seconds to get out of your seat. I won't stay here long. I'm going to pray. 15 seconds. Get out of your seat. I need to be a gap man. I need to be a gap woman. 10 seconds. Come. Five seconds. He loves you. He saved you. Not so that you and I can sit ourselves in a chair in a church. So we come before you right now, Lord. Church, would you extend your hands forward, those in the balcony, those in the back, those that are watching online, or we're here this on Facebook or 
If God calls you to be a gap man or woman, you must stand in the gap. I pray blessings upon them, Lord, as that today they get out of their seats. They got out of their seats and said, I need to do better. I need to be a gap man, gap woman. I pray blessings and strength. Give them courage. Give them boldness. Give them words to speak to the elected officials in this city, to the systems in this city. Help them, Lord, to stand in the gaps. We serve you, Lord. We thank you. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Let them not be shy. Let them be like David. Help us, Lord, to show up. Help us to show up. In the name of Jesus, get the glory. Get the glory out of our lives. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. I want you to look at me for a moment. In just a few moments, our pastor is going to come up and give us some of our final remarks. But just two weeks ago, I was on C-SPAN. C-SPAN, speaking to the mayors of this country. And I said to the mayors of this country, you're attacking violence, essentially going after the Second Amendment. But I think you're wrong. I think America does not have a hand problem. America has a heart problem. You fix the heart. The hand will follow. The head will follow. You must take a stand. There are people who have been told they could not speak. We must speak for them. And God will be with you. God will be with you. He's going to give you the strength and the boldness to be able to. And let me encourage you that here in Arkansas, that you stay the course, serving the Lord. Stay the course. God's not dead. And he's looking in 2023, he's looking for a few good women and a few good men who would stand for what they believe. Amen? Hey, give the Lord a praise offering, our pastor with us. Every Sunday of 2023, we've been praying one prayer every Sunday. The prayer has been, across the sides of this building, the prayer has been, open our eyes. And you've, you've come forward today and said, I'll be a person who will stand in the gap. If you're wondering, where is that? Is it in my family? Absolutely. Is it in our school systems? Yes. Is it in our community? Yes. But where specifically? Father, open our eyes. God, open our eyes so that we can see exactly the lives that impact, the place to stand, and the moment to do so. And I pray in those moments, courage will be delivered to every person. God, I pray if there's in this room one person who's yet to decide to follow Jesus. The Lord, through what we spoke today, they just, they hear that, they feel that longing in their heart to get things right with you, and they haven't done so yet. Lord, I'm so thankful that 1 John chapter 1, verse number 9 says, if we confess our sins, that you are faithful to forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse us from everything that's not right. So I pray today if that person in the room, they'll take that verse, make it a model of prayer right now. And then tell someone else, let us pray with them after service and see their lives change forever. 
God, I just pray over this people today. God, I pray you'll bless them. I pray you'll keep them. I pray your face will shine upon them. Give them peace and joy both now and forever. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're a first-time guest, I'd love to greet you and meet you on your way out. Hello, this is Greg Sanders, pastor of the Assembly here in Cabot. I want to say thanks for listening today. If you're ever in the Cabot area, we'd love to have you join us for a service. For service times, check out our webpage at theassemblycabot.com. Thanks again for listening. We hope you have a great day, and God bless.